All right. Let's um, let's open with prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, what a, a privilege it has been uh, to uh, to come together as your body of redeemed people and to study your work of redemption. Um, earlier, as um, as Christ accomplished redemption, and then uh, also as we've been able to look at the application of redemption to your people, and um, God, I just I just pray that these truths would. Uh, sink into our minds and our hearts um, that we would uh, just truly uh, take these things to heart, that we would uh, be enabled to have just a, a deeper understanding of your love toward us and God, that it would uh, work in us to change us, to conform us to the image of Christ. Um, and God, we pray that you would continue your work um, ultimately to our glorification with you. Um, and God, we just, um, we just praise you for the great work that you have done and are doing. Um, and uh, God, we just give you all the glory for that in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we are continuing our study on the application of redemption. This is the, the final lesson, um, and so this morning we're going to talk about glorification. Um, but before we do, we need to we need to do review here. So, um, so far we have um, we have gone over what is this ten different things, I guess. Um, so. Um, I think again, I'll just I'll just go over them rather than asking for uh, for you guys to do it this time, uh, just for time's sake. Um, so we began by talking about effectual calling. Um, that is basically uh, God calling us to Himself, calling us into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Um, that's the the beginning of where the redemption that Christ accomplished is begins to be applied to us is by God's calling. Um, and that effectual calling is effective in regeneration. Um, that through that calling, the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He uh, makes us new creatures. Uh, it is the new birth. Uh, we, we become uh, alive in Christ that way. Um, uh, the result of that is repentance and faith. Repentance being, um, just in summary, a, a recognition of our own sinfulness before God, um, a, a sorrow for that sin, and a, um, a desire to turn from it, and a, a commitment to turn from it um, and to follow God. And then faith is um, basically just our placing our trust in Christ, um, relying on him alone for our salvation. Um, union with Christ, which kind of permeates this, this whole um, series of things in the application of redemption, is our being um, made one with Christ. We are in Christ, or Christ is in us. The scripture speaks uh, in both terms. Um, but it is... Um, it is just our 
being brought into union with Christ and therefore um, everything that he did uh, for us uh, is, is, uh, is applied to us. It's uh, we share in uh, his great work of redemption uh, because we are united to him. And of course, uh, what that flows into is justification. He is perfectly righteous and we are in him. And so we are viewed as, reckoned as, declared to be perfectly righteous in the sight of God because we're in Christ. So that is the basically the legal application of the, the merit of Christ to ourselves, that we are considered to be as righteous as Christ in the sight of God. Um, and then adoption um, is we are... Uh, also adopted into the family of God. We are declared to be sons and daughters of God. Um, and so as children of God, we uh, partake in the inheritance um, that is due to the children of God. And we have that wonderful relationship with God as our father. Um, sanctification is a, a process that begins here, um, but then continues throughout our entire life as uh, the spirit uh, conforms us to the image of Christ and makes us more and more holy in our personal actions, uh, more and more uh, conformed to the law of God. Um, and perseverance is kind of just a statement of the continuation of sanctification that, um, that God causes his people to persevere. He never gives up on them. Um, he doesn't simply take their justification and say, okay, yeah, you're justified. Whatever you do in this life, that's, that's fine. Uh, you're going to heaven. But it's like, no, uh, God continues to work in us to change us into the image of Christ. Um, and we, as, as Christians, will persevere in that. We will continue to fight and struggle against sin and continue to cling to, to Christ for our salvation um, and but that is all the work of God in us, causing us to persevere. Um, so that's that's what that's about. And then assurance we talked about um, is just that extra blessing that um, should be the normal part of the Christian life. Um, we should um, normally be in a situation where we uh, are confident that God has worked in us uh, based on what we see in our lives um, and on just the, the confidence of the faithfulness of God and his promises. Um, though it's obviously possible that uh, through various circumstances in our lives, we might um, have uh, little or no assurance of our salvation. Um, it is a, a great blessing that God enables us to have and gives us the means of attaining um, in this life. So, those are the items that we have covered so far. So this morning, we are continuing uh, with the topic of glorification. Um, would anybody like to offer a definition of glorification? What does that mean? I found this one a little bit difficult to 
to come up with a really succinct definition for. I don't see any takers, so we'll just take a look at what I had. Um, so the full consummation of our redemption, uh, both in our soul and body, being made perfect in holiness, free from all corruption, glorifying and enjoying God for all eternity. So um, kind of kind of cobbled together from a few uh, of the uh, answers in the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Um, it's it's a little hard to define exactly, but that's that's basically the idea. Um, it's it is kind of the end of redemption. It is the the goal um, and the the completion of it. Um, it's something that applies uh, both to our immaterial self and to our material self. Um, it is it is not uh, simply one or the other, but but both. Um, our whole being. Um, is affected in glorification, um, and one of the aspects of it is that uh, that we're we're made perfect in holiness. There, that the, our sanctification is complete. Um, we're free from all corruption. We have our resurrected, glorified bodies, um, and you know we spend all of eternity then glorifying and enjoying God um, in a way that. Uh, we always fall short at um, in this life. So that's um, that's basically what we're looking at there. So um, as we begin looking at this, um, it's interesting that in glorification, um, there's it's almost like there's two stages, um, and it's really just a matter of the fact that glorification strictly speaking only happens at the at the end of our current um state of existence here um and you know as far as like the the entire world goes um but we we do see a change um and kind of a, a foretaste of glorification uh when a christian dies um, so there's, there's, there's some aspects of glorification that we get already, uh, just when we individually leave this life. So I don't know if that's happening to you guys or not, but it's, it's going really big and then zooming down, but hope that's not too annoying. Um, so, um, first passage we're going to look at here, Philippians one twenty three. Uh, Paul says, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So here, um, Paul is is talking about um, his death. Um, and what is it um, that will be true of him when he dies? I mean, obviously, he, he has died at this point, so it is true of him. But um, at the time that he's writing this, um, what is it? What is it that he's seeing in the future that will happen when he dies? He'll uh, when he dies, he'll be in heaven with Christ. Right. Exactly. So, 
um, there, like, I mean, obviously in this life, um, we, we are united to Christ. We have fellowship with Christ. Um, but we truly will be in the presence of Christ when we die. Um, and so there, I mean, just like our fellowship with Christ just goes up a notch, um, when we die, um, second Corinthians five, eight, um, again, Paul says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Um, so there again, he's talking about the death of the Christian. Um, and at that point you're, you know, you've died, your, your body is, is in the ground. You're away from your body. Uh, but your immaterial self is at home with the Lord. Um, and then another aspect of this we can see in Hebrews 12, uh, Hebrews 12, 23. Um, just continuing on with a sentence here and it says, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Um, so what I want to focus on there is just that last phrase there and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. What, what, what is it that um, is being spoken of there? Any thoughts? I'd say all that will be uh, once, basically, we live in our imperfect human bodies, in, in our imperfect flesh right now, and when we are, when we die and we go to heaven, we will be relieved of our imperfections and be more like Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So as we, as we talked about with, um, with sanctification, you know, it's a process where we're becoming more and more righteous, more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Um, but we never actually get there in this life. It's, um, it would be, uh, a very dangerous, uh, teaching to say that you can become perfectly sanctified uh, and be made perfectly righteous um, in this life. Uh, but um, but when we die and our spirits are with Christ, uh, we are at that point made perfect. Um, the, the sanctification is at that point complete. Um, so when we consider um, just our glorification, um, these are, these are kind of aspects of our glorification being with Christ and being perfectly sanctified that you, you get beforehand, um, if you die before, uh, before Christ returns. Um, but it would be a mistake to think that that's the whole picture of what glorification is. Glorification is a is a more complete redemption than simply uh, the redemption of our spirits. It is also the redemption of our bodies. So Philippians chapter three, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, but our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So what, what should we expect then um, for our bodies when Christ returns?
Well, he's he's going to take our, our regular bodies and he's going to transform them into a glorious body. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So our bodies will be glorified. Um, our bodies are going to be changed. I mean, right now we are suffering with all sorts of, you know, with physical ailments and we we get tired and we uh, we get, you know, hungry and we're just we're just weak in so many ways. Um but our bodies um, will be um, will be glorified at that point, um, like his glorious body. Um, one of the um, one of the the primary passages that that speaks about this happening is in First Corinthians fifteen, uh, beginning in verse fifty one. Here Paul says, "Behold, I tell you a mystery." We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So um, there's quite a bit here. Um, so um, Paul is talking about an event here. Um, and he talks about uh, the last trumpet. What What is Paul talking about here? Is anybody familiar with this this passage or this concept? and kind of what's going on here. So it talks here about... Um, the trumpet sounding and the dead being raised. Um, so here we have um, where Paul is referring to the resurrection. He's talking about the end of time uh, when everyone will be raised from the dead. Um, and so at this point, he says, uh, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Um, and so I mean, the idea here is really that, you know, we're at the, at the resurrection. Um, we're going to basically our, our imperishable body is going to be uh, put away um, and we will have uh, an imperishable body. I want to be careful not to, not to imply like we're getting like new bodies, like there's no continuity between the old body and the new body. It is, it's our body, but it's, it's been changed so that it is an imperishable body. Um, it is a, an immortal body. Um, and there's this, basically this change that happens. Um, and death, um, death is something that came in. Um, if you remember your, your Genesis story, uh, death is something that came in because 
of mankind's sin. Um, you know, God had told Adam, and the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Um, prior to that, um, there was no death. Death was, uh, death was a punishment because of the disobedience of, of humanity. Um, and it's a, you know, death is a, is a terrible thing. Um, it is something that, um, I'm sure all of us have, a, you know, have had close contact with in our lives just various loved ones who have died. And it's, um, it's something that, I mean, to use the, the terminology here, it's, it's something that has a sting. It's something that, that definitely has an unpleasantness to it. Um, but when we consider the resurrection, um, basically that, uh, all who die in Christ, um, the, the, the death is not final. It is not ultimate. There's a, there's a parting we have with those who die. And, and when we die, um, you know, we depart from this world. And, um, but ultimately that's not the end. Um, it's not even the end of our physical existence just to live as spirits. Um, the, the death of our body is basically reversed in the resurrection. Um, so death loses its victory. It loses its sting because um, even our perishable mortal bodies are, are redeemed by Christ and are brought into a state of perfection, of, of immortality. Um, also in this passage, we have a little bit of, of the idea of those who are alive when Christ comes. Um, just going back up to the, to the first verse here, back in, in verse 51, um, he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall... Uh, all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. And so um, he's certainly talking about the resurrection, um, but he is mentioning the fact that not everybody is going to sleep. And by that means, by that he means not everybody is going to be dead. Not everybody is, is going to die before Christ returns. Um, and so anybody who, um, well, basically he's saying that, that everybody gets changed. Uh, not everybody's going to sleep, but everybody's going to get changed uh, in the in a moment in a tw in the twinkling of an eye. So when Christ comes back, um, whether you have died and your spirit is with Christ, um, or whether you're still alive, your physical body is going to be changed. It's going to be it's going to become this new glorified body. Um, and so it's uh, it's something that happens, you know. Again both for those who have perished and for those who have not. Um, Paul speaks of this also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17. Um, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So again, just very similar um, language, uh, obviously describing the same event. 
Christ returns um, and those who are dead, they will be raised. Uh, those who are alive, those who in the first Corinthians uh, terminology, those who are not asleep, um, they're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So um, whether we're, you know, whether we have died and we get resurrected at that point or whether we um, are still alive and are simply changed at that point, either way, um, we all receive our resurrection body. Um, something that just happens to to all of God's redeemed people um, when Christ returns and the dead are raised. Any any thoughts or questions about that? That's uh, to some degree it's a controversial topic because there's there are some some views that put some some unusual timing uh, considerations on this, but. Um, is that is that all clear? Does anybody have any questions or comments about about those ideas? I just say hallelujah, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right. Um, well, when we when we talk about this, um, one thing that is um, that is very much tied um, tied into our glorification. I mean, we've been talking about, you know, it's at the coming of Christ. Uh, but in a sense, we have the glorification of Christ happening at the same event, or at least um, the full revealing of the glory of Christ. Um, and so there's there's some passages that, that relate to that. I just want to look at a few of them here. Um, so 1 Peter 4.13, uh, he says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Um, and here, you know, we see like, excuse me, the the concept of union with Christ kind of bleeding through here. This is like, you know, basically we're sharing in his sufferings um, and we're, we're going to rejoice and be glad with him. Um, but it's looking forward to that time when Christ's glory is revealed, when Christ comes and um, it truly is put on display for all the world, uh, his glory. I mean, right now, uh, obviously in, in our day and age, um, to a large degree, um, Christ is uh, not glorified, but uh, rather is vilified, is, is uh, you know, is... Uh, blasphemed um, in, you know, large sections of, of our society today. Um, but a time is going to come when he will, his, his glory will be revealed. Um, everybody will see um, that he is who he is. He is the creator and ruler of all. Um, and so we're, we should be rejoicing as we, and this current time, uh, we share in Christ's sufferings, um, and we look forward to the time when uh, we will rejoice and be glad when Christ comes and his glory is revealed. Um, Colossians 3.4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, so there again we see you know, our glorification happening um, when Christ appears. And it's interesting that, you know, he says, 
Christ, who is your life, appears. Again, that that idea of union with Christ, that that he is our life. We're in him. Um, our life is no longer our own, but it's it's his life. Um, and so he is our life. And when he appears in glory, we are glorified as well. Second Thessalonians 1.10 says, When he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because of our testimony, because our testimony to you was believed. And so there again, it's just another um, tying together of these concepts um, and the, the, uh, the idea of, of Christ coming and him being glorified and us being glorified as well. Another thing that is tied to this concept of glorification uh, and what happens there is the idea of the renewal of creation. Um, God's redemption um, does not simply extend to um, mankind, but to all of creation. All of creation is um, redeemed um, in the work of Christ. Um, I mean, don't 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 take that out of context and think I'm talking about universalism. I'm not talking about every single person being redeemed, but I'm just talking about the creation itself uh, being redeemed and its corruption being taken away. So um, one of the main passages for that is is Romans chapter eight. Um, just looking at verses 19 through 20. Uh, it says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revel for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So um, how would we, how would we characterize this passage? What is this? What is this saying um, about uh, creation in its current state, and um, and what what's going to change when Christ returns? Any thoughts on that? Well, in, in the same way that we as children of God will be set free when Christ comes back, so will all of creation too as well, because it's in bondage at this present time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously when, when the fall happened, um, it didn't just affect, you know, Adam and his descendants, um, but all of creation was placed under a curse uh, because of the, of the sin of mankind. Um, and so that curse is going to be removed. Um, all of, all of creation, all of this material world, uh, the effects of the curse will be completely removed. Um, and I mean, there's a great deal of suffering and, and groaning um, just in the natural world um, as it, 
um, I mean, it's kind of personified here, but as it looks forward to um, the uh, the revealing of the sons of God, which is is um, basically just talking about when we will be glorified when Christ returns. So everything, uh, all of creation is going to be renewed at that point. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, he says, Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so there, um, just uh, you know, mentioning the same thing uh, in a little less detail, but um, a little more um, climactic in the uh, the discussion of how the how the material world will be changed. But um, obviously, there's going to be a great deal of of destruction in that. Um, but the the changed creation is going to be the new heavens and the new earth. Um, it's going to be something that is completely redeemed and and glorified, even as us. Um, and it's going to be uh, a place in which righteousness dwells. Um, it's just very consistent with, um, you know, everything we've seen, that it's sin is, is completely done away with um, at this point. Uh, Revelation twenty one twenty seven. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so again, um, just this this idea of this new state, this new new heavens and the new earth. Um, it's a it's a it's a place where um, there is there is no evil. Um, there is no sin, nothing that's detestable or false, nothing unclean. Um, all is righteous and holy in this new state. So, um, I mean, in a sense, it's it's silly to even think about it. But if you do, just for a thought experiment, it's like, you know, what if God redeemed us? But, like, we were just living in the world as it as it is, you know. I mean, sure, there's just, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just like... That that doesn't sound like a complete redemption there, but um, but God does a complete job. His his redemption is complete, so that uh, the result is a, a perfect place um, where um, there is nothing there uh, but righteousness. Um, the next chapter in Revelation, similar language, uh, twenty two, three, and four. Uh, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So um, that's the that's the glory we have to, to look forward to. Um, all of the curse is completely reversed, and the presence of God is there, and uh, we will we will all be there um, worshiping him. We get to see his face and his name is on us. Um, and so, I mean, it's just that's that's the glorious experience we have to look forward to. Um, and it's and it's, a, it's it's that will be our state for all eternity. 
um, which is, is um, definitely something to look forward to, um, which is the next point. And um, Pastor Rick, you know, mentioned this already. Um, we um, should be waiting eagerly for this um, as we as we look at all the, the pain and suffering um, that we you know, have to experience in this life, um, we look forward to the day when all of that will go away and we simply will be uh, worshiping God, um, that we will be in his presence uh, for all eternity. So Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 uh, he says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Um, that is the attitude of the world, right? It's like, oh, man, it's been, it's been almost 2,000 years. Um, things just, you know, keep going on. There's still just all this suffering. Um, you know, yeah, there, sure. Jesus said he was going to come, but that, you know, looks like things are just going to keep going forever the way they are. Um, that's, that's the attitude, um, of the world. Um, and sometimes, um, as not perfectly sanctified Christians, we can begin to kind of fall into this attitude as well. Um, as we just focus on, uh, the the things of this world, if just the the cares of this life and the and, and even the good things of this life um, can really just draw our attention. And um, you know, I know I'm guilty of this. You know, just like looking at what we're what we're going through today and not really thinking about the day when all of this will be changed and all evil will be gone and we will be in the presence of Christ. Um, it can be, um, you know, a temptation to, to just focus on this life, um, and to basically live as if this is it. I just, you know, I just need to, you know, do what I can, you know, to, to make it through my life the way it is. Um, but really, um, our thoughts should be, um, not, not, not to the exclusion of, you know, paying attention to what's going on and, and fulfilling our responsibilities, but ultimately our eyes should be set on uh, the day when all of this is gone, all of this is over, and we're worshiping Christ for all eternity. Um, Romans 8, 17 and 18 um, says, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Um, and so there um, we see that, yes, we, we suffer in this life, um, but if our eyes are fixed on uh, the end goal, um, we should understand that the the glory that is coming, the the glory that is to be revealed to us, is far greater than the sufferings uh, that we are currently experiencing. 
Um, I know just from experience that the, the Christian life is, you know, not everybody has the same degree of suffering. And often um, you have periods of life when the suffering seems much more acute and then periods of life when things seem to be going fairly well. Um, but all of us, to some degree or another, experience suffering. Um, but all of it is worthwhile when we have in view uh, the return of Christ and um, our glorification with him. Uh, Romans 8.23, he says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons of the redemption of our bodies. And so there, um, you know, Paul is is recognizing this, you know, that we groan, that as we're suffering, we're groaning. Um, and we're waiting eagerly uh, for glorification. And here, you know, specifically refers to the redemption of our bodies um, in distinction to, to simply, you know, the we we go to be with Christ when we die, but we, we want our bodies to be redeemed as well. Um, so this is, um, it's something that we should be eager for. Um, and I think that like true Christians, whenever we really think about it, we are, uh, but it can be easy to get, um, distracted by the, the cares of this life. Um, but ultimately our attitude, uh, should be one of, great expectation expectation and longing um, kind of the the classic passage uh, revelation 22 20 uh, says he who testifies to these things says surely I am coming soon that's Jesus and the response is amen come Lord Jesus um, so that that should be our attitude of um, greatly desiring um, the time when uh, Christ comes back and our bodies are redeemed. And finally, um, just to sum up, um, as we've gone through this whole study, uh, glorification really is uh, the consummation of redemption. Um, from the, uh, you know, from the the accomplishment of our redemption. Um, as Christ came and suffered in our place. Uh, sorry, I'm not sure if I just said that, if I used the right words there. From, from, the, from, the, from the beginning of, of the accomplishment of redemption, uh, where Christ came and he suffered in our place, um, through the beginning of the application of redemption, where God effectually calls us to himself, and through all of these things that are... Uh, parts of redemption being applied to us all the way to our glorification this is this is the 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 work of christ uh the work of the triune god in redeeming his people um second timothy uh, chapter 1 verses 8 through 10 uh, paul says therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord nor of me his prisoner but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, 
not because of our works, but because of his own of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And so there, I mean, we see a great many things um, that pop up in this passage that we've talked about. Um, so let's see. Uh, verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. I mean, there you see both effectual calling and you see sanctification. Um popping up right there and then you just continue from there not because of of our works but because of his own purpose and grace it's, it's not because of our works it's you know it's justification we're declared righteous um on the the basis of the righteousness of christ um and it's very much uh tied back to god's purposes and election uh his own purpose and grace which he gave us in christ jesus before the ages began um and then it's it's now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. And so there, I mean, that goes back to the accomplishment of redemption and what Christ did on the cross um, and brings us through to glorification uh, where we have life and immortality through the gospel. Um, and so. Uh, really, I mean, glorification is the, you know, the summing up of it all. But this is kind of just a picture of the whole work of, of redemption that Paul lays out here uh, in this little section of, of 2 Timothy. And then finally, kind of back where we started, uh, the passage that has popped up over and over and over again as we've studied the application of redemption uh, in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 8. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, again, just kind of a, a compact statement of the um the application of redemption um, even you know going back again to the uh, doctrine of election from uh, before the foundation of the world but uh going through our effectual calling our justification and our glorification um all of those just tied together in the way that god uh saves us um and you know it's it's very, obviously, it's very important that we understand God's salvation of sinners, um, but not just in the the broad picture of it, but that um, that we look at all these different aspects. God gave us His Word so that we could uh, delve into the the various aspects of the application of redemption, uh, along with all the other doctrines that are found in Scripture. Um, and he did that, you know, for our good, for our, you know, building up, uh, for us to be able to know uh, the great things that God has accomplished, uh, to be a motivation for our lives uh, of obedience to him and 
um, to be a great comfort to us and to cause us to glorify God because of the great work that he has accomplished. Um, it really is amazing when we, when we look at the great plan that he has laid out as I'm, I'm sure that if any of us tried to figure out, it's like, okay, how do we, how do we save sinful humanity? What, you know, what are the steps we're going to take? Um, none of us would have come up with anything so thorough, so complete, so beautiful as the work that God has accomplished and is accomplishing in us. And so it should really just cause us to be uh, in awe of God and to, to love him more because of his great work of redemption. So are there any thoughts or comments or anything anybody wants to say um, as we conclude our lesson here on uh, the application of redemption? I, I think it is just a, a wonderful reminder of just how God has expressed his love, you know, for his people. But in another way, I think the thing that shines through is just his commitment to glorify himself too as well. And uh, it, it is truly magnificent. And you can see why we would have the motivation we would have for all eternity to worship and, and to praise him. So it is uh really appreciate you and Ben taking us through this and just uh, remind us of these wonderful truths. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, if we don't have any more uh, comments, then thank you all for your attention. Um, and uh, just pray that God will continue to, um, bless us and, and cause us to meditate on these truths. So um, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, truly you are just so glorious um, in your great work of redemption. And um, God, I pray that we would just have a clearer vision of who you are and what you've accomplished, that these things would be taken to heart. Um, Lord, that we would just continue to, to walk the path that you have laid out before us. Um, and God, we do pray that you would, uh, that you would return, uh, that you would return soon and that you would uh, set all the wrongs to right, that you would uh, cleanse us from all of this remaining sin. Uh, Lord, we long for the day when uh, we will be in your presence, worshiping you, glorifying you, uh, in a perfected creation, uh, the work of your hands, where um, you will wipe away every tear from our eyes, where all unrighteousness is uh, banished from us. And God, you are there. You are uh, the light that we, that we look to. You are um, there. We see you face to face. Um, God, that is what we long for. And we just pray that you would continue to work in us. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Thank you, everyone.